This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. This episode contains explicit language. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. The technology of today allows us to be connected 24-7 to the rest of the world. We carry cell phones with us at all times, which gives us the capability of communicating and sharing every experience in real time with friends and strangers alike. But live streaming, or broadcasting recordings as they're happening in real time, has not only become commonplace for fun events like parties, concerts, and celebrations, but has also documented tragedies as well. Natural disasters, terrorist attacks, and crimes in progress have all been captured on camera and broadcast to the public. Most of these were recorded by innocent bystanders who happened to take out their cell phones and hit record with no idea beforehand they would be documenting a tragic or otherwise important event. But in the stories I'll be sharing with you this month, not only were crimes caught on camera, but the perpetrators did so deliberately in order to document their evil deeds to share with the world. Chapter 1 of Live Streamed Crimes is the story of the WDBJ on-air shooting. The commotion in the newsroom on February 1, 2013, was like one never experienced before at WDBJ-TV. No, it wasn't the result of a breaking news story, unless you consider workplace drama news. WDBJ, a CBS affiliate television station located in Roanoke, Virginia, had always been like a second home to its employees. They were like a family as much as they were co-workers. Some of the staffers even formed romantic relationships, became engaged, and had gotten married. The environment at the station then was generally happy, cooperative, and peaceful. But that peace had been shattered in the months leading up to early 2013. 39-year-old Bryce Williams was hired as an on-air reporter for the news program in March of 2012. At first, news director Dan Dennison praised Williams's on-air presence and professionalism. Dennison would describe the new employee as reliable, hardworking, and charismatic on camera. But soon, cracks began to show in Williams's personality and temperament. He was sent out on assignment to cover local news stories, often accompanied by a camera person. Williams treated his photographers as underlings and often barked orders, spoke down to, and berated his teammates. Before long, his diva-like behavior became verbally abusive, and this caused others to express their reluctance to work with him. Shortly after beginning his job at WDBJ, Williams' superiors placed him on a performance improvement plan in response to these problematic interactions with his co-workers. He had several conflicts with colleagues who reported to the station manager they felt threatened and uncomfortable working with Williams. In June, Dennison wrote a memo addressed to Williams and placed it in his employee record. It stated, quote, Your behavior continues to cause a great deal of friction with your coworkers, particularly your photographer teammates. It seems that you are taking the actions of many of the photographers quite personally and misrepresenting their words or actions. Much damage has been done already in your working relationships. It is your responsibility going forward to work at repairing these relationships as the station cannot be put in the position of making assignments based on the inability of team members to get along, end quote. 
Williams was directed to contact the station's health advocate, an employee assistance program, to set up a meeting. He was told to use this resource to make the necessary improvements in his behavior towards his coworkers or be at risk of losing his job. But instead of getting help or modifying his behavior, Williams instead complained that he was being unfairly singled out for criticism. He claimed that the charges leveled against him were all racially motivated. Bryce Williams was African-American, and many, but not all, of his co-workers were white. Williams received a rating of unacceptable in his 90-day performance review under the interpersonal relationships category. His managers did note improvement in his interactions with producers, but stated, quote, The area where Bryce must make immediate improvements is with photographers. This issue is well documented and has been discussed. And there were other problems. Williams was hypersensitive to any perceived criticism by managers or coworkers. In the nine months he'd worked at the station, he refused to entertain suggestions that his performance was less than stellar, even though his news gathering and fact-checking left much to be desired. Dennison, the station manager, wrote in a December 2012 performance review that Williams tended to, quote, repeat rather than do original reporting, and this led to thinly sourced material and a lack of substance in his final work. He was given one final warning before being considered for termination for failure to check his facts in a news story and, quote, generally for poor news judgment. The final straw for Williams's tenure at WDBJ happened the following month when he got into a verbal altercation with the photographer, Trevor Fair, who had questioned Williams's judgment while on assignment. Fair refused to follow Williams when he trespassed onto private property in pursuit of a story. Fair pointed out that the news team had not been granted access by the property owner. Williams grew angry and began yelling at and insulting the photographer. He later accused Fair of, quote, trying to make trouble for him. Less than two weeks later, Williams was fired due to his volatile behavior. In addition to arguing with his co-workers, his language had become threatening. On the morning of February 1st, Williams began loudly berating cameraman Adam Ward, and this was the last straw for the station management. Dennison called Williams into his office and informed him that he was being terminated. Williams went ballistic. He told Dennison he was going to have to call the police, threatening to, quote, make a stink that will be in the headlines. He continued to rant and rave while management attempted to walk him out of the building. On the way out, Williams insulted staff members he'd previously sparred with, calling them fat and flipping them off. He grabbed a wooden cross and threw it at the station manager, saying, you'll need this. Staffers were ushered into a secure room for their safety. Police were then called, and Williams was frog-marched out of the building. Photographer Adam Ward had the presence of mind to grab his camera and record the whole ugly scene. Williams made a pointed comment about paparazzi and flipped off Ward's camera. Once Williams was successfully ejected from the property, the station made the decision to provide extra security for the staff. Employees of the station were told that if Bryce Williams returned to the building, they were to immediately call the police. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Bryce Williams had single-handedly created a hostile work environment at WDBJ-TV, according to his superiors and co-workers. So they were all glad to see him go after one too many run-ins with other staff members and an overall decline in his work performance. He hadn't gone willingly, but had made a big commotion and had to be escorted out by Roanoke police officers. Once he was gone, those at the news station breathed a sigh of relief and got back to the business of reporting the news. As far as they were concerned, the drama was over and they could go back to normal. But unknown to them, Williams was not very far away and still seething about what he considered his unfair dismissal. Not only had he been sacked, but it had also derailed his career in television. He wasn't about to let his anger go so easily. Bryce Williams hadn't always been so hostile and angry, but over the years something turned a once-promising young broadcaster into an angry and bitter man who sabotaged his own career. He also hadn't always been Bryce Williams. That was a name he had chosen as his on-air persona. Williams had been born Vester Lee Flanagan II in Oakland, California in 1973. His father, Vester Flanagan Sr., had been a college football star at Humboldt State University. He had a short-lived career as a lineman for the Green Bay Packers. Afterward, he returned to the San Francisco Bay Area, married his wife Betty, a teacher, and served as a dean at San Francisco State University. In addition to their son, Vester II, the couple also had two daughters, Vicki and Valerie. Vester attended Skyline High School in Oakland, where he was popular and well-liked. He was selected onto the court of his junior prom, played trumpet in the school band, and like his father, played on his high school football team. But Vester Flanagan already appeared to be cultivating a bit of a persecution complex, even as far back as high school. He was a good-looking young man who'd done a little modeling as a teen. According to him, it was due to jealousy over his modeling career that his football coach cut him from the team. Seems like a bit of a stretch, but okay, who's to say? We only have his word on the matter. Flanagan attended San Francisco State, the same university where his father was employed. Later statements made by Flanagan II seemed to indicate that he'd always felt overshadowed by his father. He expressed resentment towards his father for his, quote, lack of support and encouragement. Whether he ever expressed this to his father directly is unknown. Flanagan graduated from San Francisco State in 1995 with a degree in broadcast journalism. He began working as an intern for KPIX Television in San Francisco while still pursuing his degree. After graduation, he was hired at the station as a production assistant and weekend news writer. By all accounts, Flanagan was a good employee and well-liked at KPIX, but applied to another news station across the country to pursue his goal of becoming a news anchor. He began his career at WTOC 11 in Savannah, Georgia in 1997 as a general assignment news reporter. Reports about Flanagan from his co-workers during this time are generally positive. He is described as having good energy and a pleasant personality. Perhaps the only negative impression shared about him at this time was that he could be a bit vain. 
He was fastidious about his appearance and always well-dressed. However, as he aspired to become an on-air personality, his focus on his appearance makes sense. In 1999, after just four years working in media, Flanagan landed a spot as a reporter in a major market. He was hired at WTWC 40 in Tallahassee, Florida, and soon moved his way up to a news anchor position at the station. Everything seemed to be going well for Flanagan's broadcasting career, but it was at this time that he first reported harassment in the workplace. Flanagan was gay, and he reported that his co-workers were making offensive comments about his sexual orientation. It was also during this time working at the Tallahassee news station that reports of Flanagan lashing out at his colleagues first emerged. If Flanagan was being criticized or bullied by his colleagues, it should have been immediately addressed and steps taken by management to correct it. However, I was unable to corroborate these claims, and again, we only have Flanagan's word. It's very possible, and perhaps even likely, Flanagan did experience discrimination at times during his career. If so, then of course that was wrong, and we can certainly understand his anger and frustration. But it also appears that he began to view every interaction with colleagues through a lens of racism, discrimination, and persecution, whether warranted or not. Nancy Dignan, a meteorologist at WTWC, corrected Flanagan's use of the term opening arguments, saying that he should have used the phrase opening statements. Flanagan flew off the handle, screaming at Dignan and saying that she wasn't his news director or general manager and had no right to correct him. There were other similar incidents reported as well. Staffers who pointed out mistakes in the copy Flanagan wrote for news reports were subjected to angry outbursts that were described as verbally abusive. His behavior towards staff photographers was cited numerous times as dismissive, rude, condescending, and diva-like. Several of them asked not to be assigned to work with Flanagan, citing his difficult personality. In March of 2000, just one year after being hired at the Tallahassee station, Flanagan was fired after the situation became intolerable, according to Don Schaefer, WTWC's news director. Flanagan then turned around and attempted to sue the station for sexual discrimination. However, his attorney explained to him that being gay was not considered a protected class under the law and would not be until it was added under Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act in 2020. Flanagan then changed his claim from sexual discrimination to racial discrimination and asked for $75,000 in damages. The lawsuit was dismissed by the court. Between 2002 and 2010, Vester Lee Flanagan, who was now going under the stage name Bryce Williams, worked for various television news outlets around the country. He was hired at a CBS affiliate in Greenville, North Carolina. He worked there for two years before moving on to an ABC affiliate in Midland, Texas. Then in 2011, Flanagan, a.k.a. Bryce Williams, applied for a position in Huntsville, Alabama, but he was not offered the job after his former employers were contacted for references. They were informed that Williams was, quote, extremely hard to work with and were told of a physical altercation he'd gotten into with a colleague at a company Christmas party. Soon after this incident, the station let him go. But in March 2012, Flanagan applied for the job at WDBJ in Roanoke and successfully passed the background check. It's unclear whether Williams enlisted friends or others who agreed to vouch for him as a legitimate past work reference or he merely cherry-picked one or two people from his former colleagues who were willing to give him a satisfactory rating. In any case, he was hired at the station. And as we learned at the beginning of the episode, 
Williams's behavior became even more problematic during his tenure at WDVJ. As a result, in February 2013, he was fired after nine months with the station. Unable to land another broadcasting job, Williams took a position with a healthcare and insurance company call center. But even that job went badly when Williams took a casual comment made by a coworker about being unusually quiet one day and responded by becoming angry and aggressive and warning her never to talk to him again. But even a year after his dismissal from WDBJ, Williams still hadn't let go of his bitterness. In March 2014, he filed a complaint of harassment and racial discrimination against his former employer with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. The EEOC investigated the complaint and denied pursuing the claim, citing it as uncorroborated. Still undeterred, Williams next filed a civil suit against WDBJ. This time, he named specific people in the suit, including Allison Parker, a former female colleague at the station. Allison Parker, age 24, began working at WDBJ as an intern. After graduating from James Madison University in 2014, she was hired as a correspondent for WDBJ's morning show. At the time Williams was employed at the station, Allison was still an intern. Williams claimed that Allison made, quote, coded racist remarks about him while he was an employee at WDBJ. He also claimed that the station's camera team conspired to have him fired because he was black. The matter was scheduled to go to trial in the summer of 2014, but after discovery evidence was presented, the defendant's motion to dismiss the case was granted by the judge. In 2015, Bryce Williams, a.k.a. Lester Flanagan, had torpedoed his broadcasting career due to his inability to get along with his co-workers. He was now working as a receptionist making $18 an hour and had also earned a reputation in his neighborhood as a rude and arrogant man. There were reports of Flanagan getting into petty arguments with his neighbors and retaliating in bizarre ways. More than once, he threw cat feces at the homes of his neighbors with whom he had gotten into disagreements. On June 17, 2015, 21-year-old Dylan Roof entered the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where a Bible study was just getting underway. Roof was described as a sandy, blonde-haired Caucasian man. He was not a church member and had never attended the Bible study, but was welcomed in by the group. He sat quietly for several minutes before suddenly standing up, pulling out a Glock 41 45 caliber handgun and opening fire on the parishioners. A total of nine people were killed, all African-American. Roof's stated motivation for this mass murder was racial hatred. He admitted to targeting the Emmanuel AME Church, specifically due to its history and status as one of the first African-American churches in the South. He was charged and convicted of a federal hate crime resulting in nine murders and sentenced to death. Vester Flanagan would later cite this incident of racial hatred as the, quote, tipping point for his own actions two months later. Flanagan would state that his anger had been building for some time before the Charleston church shooting and claimed that Roof's hate crime sent him, quote, over the edge. Avowed white supremacist Dylan Roof killed nine black parishioners at Emmanuel AME Church on June 17, 2015. Two days later, Vester Flanagan legally purchased a firearm. One month after that, 
Flanagan's discrimination lawsuit against news station WDBJ was dismissed by the court. Flanagan had specifically named Allison Parker, a former colleague, in the lawsuit, stating that she had directed racist comments towards him. At the time of the alleged incident, Parker was working at WDBJ as an intern. According to an internal memo, the station investigated Flanagan's claim at this time, but it could not be corroborated and the matter was dropped. The station manager, Jeffrey Marks, would later state in an interview that the management believed Flanagan's allegations were fabricated. Quote, he was sort of looking out for people to say things that he could take offense to, Marks said. Eventually, after many incidents of his anger coming to the fore, we dismissed him. Soon after Flanagan's lawsuit was dismissed, he opened social media accounts on both Twitter and Facebook. He created his first Facebook posts on August 18th, uploading video segments of his past news reports and some from his time as a model. Some law enforcement officers have concerns. Now take a look behind me. As you can see, this is a road to nowhere. Well, Holly, police are looking for a four-door Toyota. It's either white or perhaps a light green color, maybe pastel color. Meanwhile, if you've seen Lamont Woods, please call your local police or sheriff's department. Live in Henry County, Bryce Williams, WDBJ7. That's where police say a man bit a dog. It happened Friday morning when police went looking for the suspect. No word yet on what the man would be charged with. He's lucky that dog didn't do a little bit more. One of these new segments shows Flanagan in a gun shop holding weapons. The next day, he uploaded pictures of himself on his Twitter feed. Some were his baby pictures, others were modeling and professional headshots, and a few were photographs of himself at work at the healthcare company call center. No one at WDBJ had any indication that their former coworker, whom they had known as Bryce Williams, was still harboring a grudge over a year later. They were going about their business completely unaware of how unhinged he had become. On Wednesday, August 26, 2015, Allison Parker and Adam Ward were sent out to do a live interview at Smith Mountain Lake. Allison, 24, had been working for WDBJ for over three years and was now working as a correspondent for the morning news show. She was also dating Chris Hurst, one of the station's news anchors. Adam Ward, age 27, had also begun as an intern at WDBJ and now worked as a news cameraman. He had recently become engaged to Melissa Ott, a producer at the station. Allison was to meet with Vicki Gardner, executive director of the Smith Mountain Lake Regional Chamber of Commerce. They were to film the interview segment at Bridgewater Plaza, a shopping complex near the lake. Events had been planned for the 50th anniversary of Smith Mountain Lake, and Allison was assigned to interview the director about the upcoming festivities. Adam Ward was to film the interview for the newsfeed. It was 6.45 a.m. when the station cut to the live interview with Allison standing on a walkway overlooking the lake with Vicki Gardner. Gardner had just begun speaking when shots rang out. Allison turned towards the camera and stumbled backwards and was heard to say, Oh my God! Ward's camera then appears to fall to the ground and the images blur and cut out. The jumbled image plays for a few more seconds before the broadcast cut back to the studio where morning news anchor Kimberly McBroom looked stunned and confused. Witnesses near the scene described a black man running away holding a weapon. Police responding to the 911 calls found Allison Parker and Adam Ward shot multiple times in the head and chest. Both died at the scene. 
Vicky Gardner had dropped to the ground, curled into a fetal position, and played dead after she heard the shots ring out. She was shot in the back and rushed to a local hospital. There, she would undergo emergency surgery and survive. Vester Lee Flanagan, a.k.a. Bryce Williams, had planned and carried out a shocking act of violence that he designed for maximum effect. Walking up behind cameraman Adam Ward, as he was filming Allison Parker's news segment, Flanagan waited to ensure that Allison's murder would be broadcast live. Flanagan wanted thousands of viewers watching as he shot three people in cold blood. But even this wasn't enough for Flanagan to demonstrate his contempt for his former colleagues. He also filmed the shooting on a backup camera, and a few hours later, uploaded a video of the murders to his Facebook and Twitter accounts. Vester Flanagan ambushed and murdered two people in cold blood, recording it on a GoPro-type camera. Within hours, he shared the video with thousands of people over social media. Flanagan also faxed a 23-page manifesto to ABC News headquarters in New York City. Titled, Suicide Note for Friends and Family, he rambled on about various complaints and the motivations for his crime. He repeatedly complained about racial discrimination and harassment in the workplace, claiming he'd been singled out as a gay black man. Black men and white women were the worst offenders, he claimed. He also claimed that he'd been sent over the edge after the Charleston church shooting, but further stated that he could relate to the actions of other mass shooters, including Columbine High School shooters Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, and Virginia Tech shooter Cho Sung Hui. He wrote, quote, When the damage was already done and someone gets to this point, there is nothing that can be said or done to change their sadness to happiness, end quote. He also criticized his father, partially blaming him for his actions as well. He said that his father had, quote, offered no encouragement, not one syllable, when he had shared with him his troubles in the workplace. In the manifesto, Flanagan jumps from one person or situation to another to explain his actions. In a disjointed, self-pitying, and wholly unapologetic statement, he even states that he'd received a message from Jehovah who wanted him to carry out his plan. He finally concedes, quote, Yeah, I'm all fucked up in the head, end quote. Three separate suicide letters were sent to news organizations around the country by Flanagan. All had been written just days before the shooting. ABC headquarters would also later state that a man identifying himself as Bryce Williams had contacted the network several times in the weeks before the shooting, saying he had a story for them. However, he never explained what that story was. At 11 a.m., just hours after shooting three people at Bridgeport Plaza, Flanagan posted a video to his Facebook and Twitter accounts. The video was 56 seconds in length and appeared to be captured through the use of a camera mounted on the shooter's body. It depicted Flanagan walking up to where Ellison Parker was interviewing Vicki Gardner. He stands just behind the camera operator, Adam Ward. None of the three victims noticed him. Flanagan then waits until the camera is switched on and the feed goes live before he lifts the gun. Pointing the barrel at Allison, Flanagan can be heard to mutter, Bitch. He fires the weapon directly at Allison. She screams, Oh my God, and then drops out of sight. More shots are heard as Flanagan turns his weapon on Adam Ward. Ward then falls out of sight, dropping his camera to the ground. Flanagan then shuts off his body camera. In total, 15 shots were fired. Eight are heard on camera before the news station live feed cuts back to the newsroom. 
Thousands of WDBJ's morning news viewers witnessed the shooting live as it was broadcast on air. Thankfully, other than Ellison ducking out of view with a terrified look on her face, no graphic images of the shooting were aired. However, once Flanagan uploaded his video to Twitter and Facebook, many saw the murders of Warden Parker in vivid detail. Within hours, his social media accounts were deleted, but the video had already been widely viewed and shared. In addition to the uploaded video, Flanagan also sent out several tweets that morning. The first stated, quote, I filmed the shooting, see Facebook. In other tweets, Flanagan continued to criticize his victims. Regarding Ward, quote, Adam went to HR on me after working with me one time, he wrote, with multiple exclamation marks at the end. And another, quote, Allison made racist comments. And one more that simply read, EEOC report filed. The social media posts were all created while Flanagan was on the run. After the shootings, he fled the scene in a rental car, leaving his own vehicle in the Roanoke Airport parking lot and driving north up Interstate 81. Around 11.30 a.m., just minutes after posting the video, a state trooper three hours north of Roanoke attempted to pull Flanagan's car over. The trooper had identified the fugitive's car using a license plate reader and called for backup. When Flanagan saw the lights of the police units attempting to pull him over, he sped off. Officers pursued him, and just moments later, his car veered off the road and crashed into the median divider. Flanagan was discovered inside his car with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He was rushed to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. Inside the vehicle, officers found the murder weapon and more ammunition. Also inside the car was Flanagan's cell phone with the video file of the shooting and handwritten letters, notes, and to-do lists outlining his plans. It appeared that his plan was to remain at large after the shooting, as a suitcase with several different license plates was found in the car, along with several disguises, including a wig. Vester Lee Flanagan didn't just want deadly revenge against his perceived enemies. He also wanted the world to watch his cold and calculated act of murder. The chilling video viewed almost in real time by thousands of people stirred up passionate debates regarding gun violence in America, the ease with which graphic content could be so easily shared on social media, and calls for its restriction, and what the media's role was in protecting the public from viewing such graphic content. The issue of gun control and what laws should be enacted to protect the public was hotly debated after a series of high-profile mass shootings in the United States. These included the Charleston and Virginia Tech mass shootings and the on-air murders of Adam Ward and Allison Parker. Allison's father, Andy Parker, became an outspoken advocate on the issue of gun violence prevention. Her boyfriend, Chris Hurst, ran for a seat in the House of Delegates and won. His campaign largely revolved around promises to focus on new gun control legislation. Many news outlets were criticized for sharing the video of the Roanoke on-air shootings, and there were discussions in public forums regarding what was considered too graphic to be aired on news programs. Even the still frames showing Ellison Parker's startled face seconds before she was murdered were banned from some news programs. Other publications like the New York Post, British tabloid The Sun, and the Daily Mirror were soundly criticized for publishing the still photos from the graphic video on their front pages. CNN and the CBS Evening News aired 25 seconds of the video several times in the days following the shooting. Vicki Gardner, who survived the shooting, filed a $6 million lawsuit against WDBJ for negligence in hiring Vester Lee Flanagan II. 
Her lawsuit was dismissed in 2020 by the Franklin County Circuit Court. The Ellison Bailey Memorial Scholarship was created to award promising journalism students at Patrick Henry Community College, where Ellison had attended. Adam Ward's alma mater, Salem High School, established the Adam Ward Scholarship Fund to honor him. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Don't forget, you can always reach out to me at our website or Facebook page. You can get all the links to our social media, information on upcoming events, and even listen to episodes by going to our website, truecrimepodcast.com. Don't forget to register for CrimeCon 2022. You can attend CrimeCon in the U.S. in Las Vegas, April 29th to May 1st, or in the U.K. in London on June 11th and 12th. While you're there, come and see me on Podcast Row. Please make sure to use my offer code for your tickets, onceupon 22 It helps us pay for travel to see you in person. Thank you. Another way you can help us out is by becoming a Patreon member. Patreon members of Once Upon a Crime get ad-free early release episodes, bonus episodes, sneak peeks of upcoming series topics, and free swag sent to you in the mail. To find out more and sign up, go to patreon.com slash onceuponacrime. There's a link in the show notes. Thank you so much. Once Upon a Crime is written and produced by me, Esther Ludlow. My research and production assistant is Lorena Garcia. Until next time, be good to one another.